Fitness Podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. Thank you, as always, for stopping by and listening to uh, my podcast. It's uh, fabulous to have you all as my listeners. Today, I have a special guest for you by the name of Craig, Craig Evans, who I first met, I think it was about three years ago, wasn't it, Craig? Something like that. But I'm going to hand over to Craig, Craig, (laughs) Craig, to introduce himself and he can tell you all about what he does and then we will crack on with the conversation because yeah there's lots to discuss so over to you Craig please do introduce yourself to my fabulous listeners. Right then my name is uh, Craig, Craig Evans and I run coastal foraging courses all over the West Wales coast bringing people from all over the world and showing them all about our local wildlife and what you can eat, what you can't eat, the environment, the geology. Basically, I have a whale of a time, and I think my customers do as well. <laughs> well, that's how we met, wasn't it? I, my my office manager actually booked me on to one of your foraging courses, as we were just saying, I think about three years ago now. And it really is such a, oh, it's just such an amazing way to spend the day, whether you're sort of on your own or whether you're in a couple or whether you're with a family or you have groups of people and can you just sort of expand on what the whole day involves when they come out foraging with you, Craig? Yeah, I'll just run through a, a, a short place of what happens. I, I, I meet meet the group. We have an introduction. We talk about the tides, how it works, about the local history and some safety aspects. And then we go and do the good stuff. So we go to, uh, say, a beach uh, or a woodland and we find flavourings for what we're going to cook with. Generally, things like wild garlic and some vegetables that live on the seashore, uh, sea radish or rock samphire, things like that. And then, other tide is going out, we then uh, follow the tide out, explaining things, uh, digging things up, and explaining how all that environment works. It's all about a sense of place and environmentalism and sustainability. So, we then get to a certain point at low tide because it's really important to follow the tide out, to be at low tide and then follow the tide back in and forage on the way back. That's how people get drowned. In the past, we found octopus, cuttlefish, squid, uh, you name it, uh, various fish. Like today, we even found a conger eel. We have crabs, uh, shellfish like lobsters, mussels, cockles, soft-shell clams, all manner of sea life, uh, different seaweeds, and uh, at the end then, after explaining more about the environment and, and how the actual coast works, uh, we cook it all up and they have a little taste. And I haven't poisoned anybody yet. <laughs> yet, yet. <laughs> no, no, you'll never will. But it's just, it's brilliant because it's, it's like having been on, well, that course and, and other courses since, you know, it's so educational because obviously you know so much because you've had this fascination with foraging since you were a child haven't you in in all reality but you share with your clients your passions your interests your knowledge which is tremendous and as you say you know everybody that's on the course gets involved in the foraging and then you cook it all up on the beach at the end and it's just it is such a full day and you you're out there in the fresh air you're seeing the coast you're learning you're educated but actually spending a a great day with a group of people having a whale of a time and of course we must pay reference and homage to how well done (laughs) did i get it right yeah yeah 90 percent (laughs) so 
yeah. for the listeners, Craig's from Wales and um, my Welsh accent isn't the best, but uh, uh, pl- please do introduce how. <laughs> yeah, so is uh, our golden retriever. He's my best buddy, really. He comes along on all the courses and he's, he's a bit of a star. He's a bit of a, an attention seeker. And uh, <laughs> he, he's even learned to eat his own muscles off the rocks now. He's, uh, really? How, so what does he do? How does he do that? He just, he just bites them, crunches them and eats them. <laughs> yeah. Does oh. he deshell them with his teeth? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Uh, he's a superstar. For the listeners, he is just such a beautiful dog. He's so good-tempered and he, he sort of takes himself off and along the beach and he's just great with everybody, isn't he? He really is. And even the other dogs that you have on the courses as well, he's he's, he's good. He's just funny as well. He just make me laugh. He really does. But how did you get started in it, Craig? Well, I've been doing this since I was about six, really. My father used to take me and my brothers cockle-picking, of all things, uh, along one of the local estuaries. And we used to pick cockles, obviously, but then he'd abandon us, my father would, and uh, we'd we'd sneak away and um, rummage about in rock pools and walk along bare feet amongst these little tidal creeks and things, and little things would tickle in our feet. When I eventually found one, it was one of these sand shrimps, same as they get in Morecambe. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so from that day onwards, um, you know, I've tried to find as much as I can out about everything that lives between the high and low tide and below. Oh wow! Uh, how how it breeds, uh, mm-hmm. what it eats, what eats it, mm-hmm. and and how it everything interacts with everything else in the environment. It's been a, a fascination and passion of mine. Mm-hmm. I was going to say because actually that the way you described that, it's that such an idyllic childhood. It's that one of sort of you should say rock pools and being allowed to have that freedom, which you know children don't necessarily get these days. But I know when we were speaking just prior to and arranging the. The um, this podcast recording that you you've actually got um, a group of I think thirty children coming out with you. <laughs> Thirty-five, I think. Thirty-five. Yeah. What age group are they? Uh, primary school, I think. The last year in primary school. Although they, they you won't they, be they, in they, sole they, charge though, will you? You have got the sort of teachers. Oh care, no, so. there'll, there'll be teachers. No, I can't look after thirty-five kids. No, 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 no. Mr. Evans, sir. Mr. Evans, sir. What, what's this? What's that? No, don't touch this. Don't touch that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's that's how it works. Yeah, yes, yeah. Don't, don't eat that. Don't. No, no, no. It needs cooking. <laughs> Done it before. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, it's not just school children, is it? It's everybody that you you take out, and I know you do quite a lot charity wise as well, don't you? Yeah, with the school children, in effect, tomorrow is is all is, is is a charitable thing itself. So I don't charge for it. It's just to give something back. I take groups of uh, children and with autism and things like that as a matter of course, you know, to to give something back. But um, charity is is important. Um, last year, did a charity day for the Wales Air Ambulance, and we got about four thousand pounds for that. And about three weeks ago, yeah, it it, it all helps. And this year we did uh, a day for the local inshore lifeboats and we did a budget over £2,000 for that as well. So it's nice to give something back to these, you know, brave people who, if any of my, myself or any of my customers got, got hurt, those are the people they call upon. So it's, 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 I think it's important. I do as well. I mean, I do. I find it fascinating, actually, that the RNLI, you know, isn't just paid for. <laughs> oh no, no, no. But but this this charity, the Inshore Lifeboat, is not part of the RNLI. Oh, is it not? Oh, okay. No, no. It, it's a it's the Marine Division of the Saint John's Ambulance. Oh. 
okay. which is totally different. They, they, they inshore, they just uh, go around uh, the coast, you know, on estuaries, mm-hmm. and and what they spend most of the summer rescuing people of sandbanks who have been cut off by the tide, not realizing how things work. You know, yes, yes, so exactly. saving many many lives. So the tides, I mean, you, I mean, you read the tide times. Now, I bet I should imagine there's a lot of listeners that won't even know what tide times are. I mean, I'm, I'm aware because I've always been interested in the sea and the coast and I'm aware of them. But if you're living in a landlocked country or you don't see the sea very often or you just haven't even thought about it, in a basic sort of explanation, can you explain tide times? Yeah, well, it, it's quite simple for me, really. And, and the way the tide works is... Uh, the, the moon's gravity is always pulling on the Earth. And the nearest point to the Earth, to the moon, that's when gravity is strongest. And so water being fluid is drawn towards that point. That's when it's high tide. But water has to come from somewhere. So on the sides of the Earth, that's when it's low tide. Because the Earth spins on its axis once a day, the other side of the Earth is facing the moon. So that's why you get a high and low tide twice a day. So there's a bit more to it than that because the moon then goes round the earth every 28 days or so. The same point of the earth as it spins is at a different position. So the high tide varies by about 40 minutes a day. Oh, right. Okay. And and this can be predicted many, many years in advance. Because of this, uh, this is why I run my courses like seven, eight days on and seven, eight days off. So when the tide doesn't go out far enough, um, what we call neap tides, uh, the shellfish beds are not uncovered. So that's when I plan my holidays and do my admin and go and see people. So really, I'm a bit like a werewolf. I'm governed by the moon. Yeah. But it's lovely, isn't it, that you are actually working in rhythm with nature, that going with the sort of the flows and the natural, say the natural rhythms, because that's really because we're all part of nature, really, aren't we? And it's about sort of falling in flow with that. And for the listeners, Craig was previously, well, he could expand himself, but was previously in the RAF, weren't you originally? And then um... yeah, I'll give you a rough, rough place of that. It's, uh, I left school at seventeen, and I was in the RAF as a weapons engineer for twelve odd years till I was thirty. I left that to work in insurance for about a year. And then after that, I um, uh, worked for High Street Bank for about 17 years. I left that through stress, as many people do. And then I bought myself uh, a 40-acre woodland. And I managed that on a commercial basis. And this woodland, it was called a plantation on ancient woodland site. And what that means is the Forestry Commission, in their wisdom back in the 50s, cut down all the native trees and the oaks and planted conifers. So I bought it when the conifers are nearly fully grown. So I cut down most of the conifers as a business to make products from them. And I replanted the whole site with uh, 28,000 native broadleaves to put it back as it should have been, you know, many, many years ago. And uh, sold that to environmentalists and uh, here we are. I mean, that's just amazing what you did with that woodland. I mean, it's shocking. I mean, what we... It's just something so special when you go into ancient woodland and to do that, to do what they did. And it's, we need to preserve the woodlands sort of globally. Crikey, for so many different reasons. Um, the reasons are umpteen, aren't they? From the the trees themselves to the you know the carbon dioxide, the, the oxygen, the carbon, all the exchange and the the wildlife and the, the, the energy that they generate as well. I mean, I just find them magical. Yeah, it is. Everything's interrelated from the, the fungi to, you know, keeping water locked on the land, stopping it being run off, causing floods. There's all, all sorts of uh, issues and benefits, yeah? Mm. 
But I, I always feel so at peace when I'm in a nice woodland. You know, when we've been foraging and when we go into... It's only literally just off the shore, isn't it, where you take... Um, yeah, that, that part, yeah, that, that literally, I know, 100 metres or so. Yeah. Easy. But it's yeah. lovely. It's got a real nice energy. And you were just talking about this at the fungi and you sort of identify... Well, obviously, you've got to be careful what you do <laughs> forage on the sort of the fungi and mushroom front. But uh, just identify, just being in that sort of energy and that wild garlic you referred to earlier as well that grows in woodland. And it's just powerful, powerful stuff. So, yeah, so that, that I mean... Yeah, banking, as you say, you got into, but it, it was so stressful you came out of it. And that's after buying the woodland, and then you uh, obviously set up all the foraging. But is it three or four years since you've had the foraging business, Craig? Oh, it's about four and a half, I think. Craig has got a YouTube channel, Coastal Foraging with Craig Evans. How many subscribers have you got now, Craig? Uh, I haven't published a, a YouTube video for about a year now, but uh, I used to publish on a regular basis, and it's up to about... 101,000, some, something like that, subscribers. I think you're overdue a video then. Yeah, but uh, my issue is I don't have anybody to film and edit it for me. Oh, crikey. That, that, that's, that's the issue. I, I'd like, I'd love to do more videos. So, what? because you used to have somebody that videoed and recorded for you on a regular basis, and that's just obviously parted ways, and that now you need, we need to put a call out then. Anybody yeah, who's listening... <laughs> who wants to video and film in South Wales. Yeah, <laughs> um, and edit. Yes, video edit as well. Yeah, this is what, uh, actually, Pete, the producer who will be listening to this as he edits okay. it, he's getting involved in video <laughs> as well. But All right. yes, you definitely need someone. You can't be videoing yourself very easily when you're yeah. doing the foraging, can you? We, uh -huh. we definitely need to call out on that front then, yeah. Craig, because you do so much good work and I know so many people follow you and enjoy your videos. So we need we need more of that happening because Craig does all sorts of other things as well. And he's actually, he's forever sort of um, getting involved with uh, national treasures is all I can say in the UK. <laughs> well, I, I won't say the, the people as, as national treasures, but uh, I've been for, fortunate enough in the last six months to be on national TV three times. Uh, first one was uh, with Dame Mary Berry back last December. And then back in February, did a show with Michael Portillo on the Great Coastal Rail Journeys. And most recently, in the latest series uh, of, um, it was called Best of Britain by the Sea, with Ainsley Harriet and Grace Dent. But I was the first article in the first episode, which was broadcast about five weeks ago. And I've been very fortunate, apart from other things, that's good. Yes, and you, you, you sort of have Joanna Lumley popping up on a regular basis with you as well. It, it, it seems that way as well. Yeah, yeah but, but, but in fairness, um, Joanna is, is a really kind, gracious person and she helps out in some of the charity work, which gives a bit of impetus to the, the charity itself. And, and thanks to her, that's why we've raised so much. Which is just brilliant. But obviously, Craig, it's, it's down to what you do and how you work with people that means that you get these opportunities to do all this sort of tv and recording work and you're just always busy doing and exploring different things aren't you i mean sort of the, i i watched the episode obviously with mary berry and you with her daughter and you and i think her daughter had been onto your foraging courses hadn't she which is how that that's right yeah that's that all it. hooked together and it's all serendipitous you know it's um some people seem to like the environment and how i explain it because all i do is tell a story of what's there you know is that that simple I mean, I know how I feel about it, but what do you, your clients and people talk to you about, you know, when they come out? What, what is the general sort of consensus? You know, 
about them coming out and doing the courses and what is it they get from it? What what you know, what's the kind of feedback you get, Craig? General, I'm really curious. Well, what I do first of all when I meet a group is I ask them individually as part of a group why they're there. <clears throat> and and I ask them, are you interested in foraging? Is it food? Is it wildlife? Is it seaweeds? Is it marine biology, whatever. And depending on the consensus, then that's how I run my course, where I take them and whatever. I try and tailor make the course to to what they want. But at the end of it, I'm pleased to say that uh, all my trip advisory reviews have been five star. And it's, 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 it's quite humbling, really. But what do they, what do they say? I mean, I'm just, because I know for me, I mean, I love being out in nature and I get so much from being outdoors. And I think so many people don't see the outdoors or don't experience it or you just get caught up with all the modern stuff and technology and it's, it's all too easy just to get sort of caught up into that routine I'm just wondering what walks of life people have come from how they've happened upon it what's made them decide to come on a foraging course and what they've got from it at the end of the day is it inspired them to do something different or most people come to learn and a lot of them uh, they, they would be say middle-aged onwards and they would have had a childhood where they would have played about in rock pools and on the beaches. So they've always wanted to know more about what it is because it's a fascinating area, you know, with so much diversity. And I, I always tell people at the end of the course, you're going to find things, you know, that um, you won't recognise because there's some strange stuff out there. Send me a photograph and I'll uh, I'll identify it for them. Actually, having said that, Craig, we've, I was picking up some stones on a beach just recently. I said, I really must send Craig a photograph of this because it's got a very interesting pattern on it. And I'd be very interested to know why. Because, you know, it's not just the seashore and the, and the sea life, is it? I mean, you're very knowledgeable on sort of rock formation, strata and what's been happening as well. Yeah, it's a whole environment. I mean, the thing is, you know, 10,000 years ago, the sea level on the UK and the world was about 200 metres lower than what it was. There was an awful lot more land. And on that land, there were, there were trees and forests and swamps and all, all that's been, you know, it's, it's been put underwater. So our shores now are, are really very, very recent. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't realise oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have walked across to France and to Ireland and the, the Seven Estuary wasn't there. It was one big river delta. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't realise that. So it's just, we're gradually sinking. Is that because of all the climate change? Not really. No, 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 no. There's lots of reasons for water level change, and uh, most of them is to do with uh, the tilt of the earth. Oh, okay. And if the, and if the earth tilts towards the sun a bit more, mm-hmm. there's more energy, and that's what melted the last ice caps. And when it's tilted away a bit, that's what causes the ice age. Oh. Yeah, so it's a bit of a wobble. <laughs> We don't want to be wobbling too much then. We don't want to yeah, be wobbling no, too much. No, but no, 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 no. Because when you walk along the seashore, you know, the formations in the rocks, and as I remember you pointing out to me, this it's like, well, that's where these were trees, and that, really? And there's just, and, and that was this, and that was that. And, yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating. There's so much to be to be learned. But, you, I mean, you predominantly work in South Wales, don't you? But there's been times when um, we've been sort of in communication via various social media channels and that you've been jetting off somewhere else to do a bit of foraging in sort of other countries. So how different is it when you fly off somewhere else and forage on their coasts to it is when you're in the UK? Well, it's, it's, it's a fascinating learning curve because the thing is the environments are different. It is warmer mm-hmm. for the start. The tides aren't as big. Recently been to Mauritius and that, that was tropical, mm-hmm. uh, the Indian Ocean. 
think I've been to Lanzarote three times this year mm-hmm. uh, to explore the rock pools and, and the sea life there with, with a view of maybe running some coastal foraging courses. Oh, cool. It, it was really interesting with various sponges and sea life and different species of crabs and fish and anemones and all this type of thing. But uh, from a foraging perspective, not that much there to eat. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, well the thing is, that obviously, they're volcanic islands and then the tidal range uh, there is only about six feet. So whereas in South Wales, in the Bristol Channel in particular... It has the second highest tidal range in the world, which can be up towards, say, the seven bridges, between high and low tides as much as 46 feet. Only the Bay of Fundy in Canada has a greater range. Goodness, so, why, why is that then, Craig? What, what is it so, spe- well, what is so special about South Wales? Well, there's, there's reasons for everything. Because the way the Earth spins on its axis, the tide always comes in from the west. Mm-hmm. And the Bristol Channel in particular, we've got Pembrokeshire, and then across toward England, you've got Devon and Cornwall. And the actual channel goes up in a funnel shape towards Bristol and Gloucester that way. So as the tide comes in, the water's got nowhere to go apart from up. As progressively, as you go up the Bristol Channel, you get a higher and higher tidal range because of the water movement. Okay, well, see, there's always plenty to learn. When you talk to Craig, there's always stuff that you have no clue about, you find out about. <laughs> but that's the beauty of going on the courses. It's just, it's just magical, really, because... The day starts, it's all obviously tidal depending on, but it's usually, you usually sort of start the courses, what, mid-morning? It all depends. No, it's always about three, three and a half hours before low tide. And at the run of my first, say, I do seven days on the trot, you find that the first one I start, say, at quarter past eight in the morning, and the last one starts at about two o'clock in the afternoon. Because the tide changes by about 40 minutes every day. Ah, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, it's a full day. <laughs> if you go out with Craig, it's a full day. You see, whenever you start, it's a full day. And it's, it's, it's exciting. What I have to say is that you sort of get a bit addicted because as you, you're showing the clients and the people, I mean, as I say, I've, I've been along a few shore, shorelines now with you, but you can't but help. Oh, oh, I wonder if there's one of those down there. Oh, oh. <laughs> and you have to be careful that you don't forage too much because A, you can't eat it all and B, you've got to be mindful that, you don't want to be stripping the shoreline. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been asked to appear on TV programmes about um, foraging as a supplement to your normal food eating. Mm. And because of the issues now with uh, things like uh, with inflation and problems with food banks, etc. Uh, but the thing is, I've declined that because if everybody did that, there'd soon be nothing left. Yes. If there was only 100,000 people living in the UK, fine. That's that's how things used to work thousands of years ago. But it's not going to work. There's, there's not enough there to do it. So sustainability is key. And mm. if you go out to, just for argument's sake, picking cockles anywhere like Morecambe Bay or the Wash or something like that, you know, you should never take more for your immediate needs that day. And if you are going out, make sure that you conform to the local bylaws mm-hmm. because there are, there are seasons and size limits and dangers of the tides and muds and all sorts of things so vital you're exactly right and it, uh, one thing that sort of strikes me a i think we overproduce food anyway and there's so there is so much waste and i think if people understood how to cook and use what they've got 
this oh it's a massive subject isn't it but you know it's it's about taking more than you need but you don't need as much as you think you need and actually you can produce a huge amount from a small amount of you know vegetables and things like that it can go a long way even just I mean I apologies to any vegetarians but you know I had I cooked a chicken the other day and um, you know just to cook a whole chicken it did three meals myself my partner and a friend three meals and then it created meat for another meal there's still a bit of meat left and there's still some bits for the cats got lots of veg and we're growing in the garden ourselves so you can there's so much you can actually do and it doesn't need to cost you an arm and a leg you throw the bones away without boiling them and then using that as a soup stock yeah oh no i've done that as well yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, yeah. oh yes <laughs> yes that's why the chicken came off that's why there's the bits yeah. for the cat because it went yeah. after we finished eating the bulk of it it went in the slow cooker and with with some veg created the stocks in the fridge i need to make a soup with that and uh the bones and the last, the, the, the sort of the, the nasty bits have gone, have gone. But uh, yeah, it's all about being, well, thinking. I, I don't know about you, but I think that from all the fast food stuff from the seventies, it has made people less inclined to sort of use ingredients and cook. And you can do so much with so little. But yeah. what what I do is what how people used to supplement their uh, nutrition with uh, maybe only seventy or eighty years ago. It's just been forgotten. That's all. And, and transport is much more available now. So the thing is, people that lived close to areas where they could forage, not just on the on the sea, but in the rivers, in the woods, or on the mountainside, even. Yeah, that's what they used to do. Absolutely. There's there's so many fruit trees and bushes around that you see. I mean, I see just in the local village, it just drops stuff to the ground and. It's crazy, but there is something, I don't know whether you've heard about it, Craig, but there's this um, app called the Too Good To Go app. I think it's come over from the States and um, you can sign up for it. They call them magic bags and it's stuff that sort of reached its end sell-by date. And as we know, things are still edible after that sell-by date. They get put into a, a, a basket and um, we've been getting one from um, a business called Kerry Fresh locally. And it's a great big box, a huge box of fruit and veg and sort of pasta and sauces and all sorts of different things. It's always a bit exciting, actually. It's a bit like going on a foraging course because you don't quite know what you're going to get. But we get this huge box of stuff for a fiver. And, and, and the thing is, the excitement is then not knowing what you're going to get. And when you do get it, you, you have to plan and work out what you need to do with it. And that's, 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 that's fun, isn't it? Exactly. Just had some asparagus on the barbecue tonight with some tuna that we'd already got. Whatever there was, some asparagus and some tender stem broccoli. Yeah, that, that was just two of the items. I had three packs of tender stem broccoli, a packet of asparagus, potatoes, mushrooms, so many um, tomatoes, honestly. <laughs> but it's great for a fiver great yeah you cook up a nice treat for them on the beach and obviously you 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 forage stuff for yourself that, that then you freeze at home don't you yeah because when i've been today i did this survey for these with children that come in tomorrow mm-hmm. so i man- managed to get a conger eel a pile of prawns a pile of mussels three nice big velvet swimming crabs uh so much things that uh, i've actually recorded them on my phone and video mm-hmm. that i did throw back like uh Dogfish, um, big spider crabs, which we did, didn't didn't use. Wow! Yeah, so there's 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 a lot out there. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So yeah, I mean it's just it's just a great experience, and it's one that makes people happy because people do come back time time again. As you've said, you get five star reviews, and it's a lovely day out for you know anybody who's down in South Wales with families or wants to just do something on their own. They might be travelling on their own, or yeah, it's just. 
Well, how do they contact you, Craig? How do they find you apart from via YouTube? This, this is what I ask everybody in the group. I said, how did you find me? And it used to be when I used to do regular YouTube videos, about 60% of people just followed me from, from YouTube. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I get uh, direct contact via people doing a search for foraging, a coastal foraging. Mm -hmm. People find me from my Facebook account. They find me from Instagram. People find me from the TV work. Five people have found me from the radio. Uh, I've been in quite a few magazines. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had people have found me from the Telegraph and the Waitrose magazine and BBC Good Food Guide. And I've got a big one coming out now with uh, Camp in a Caravan magazine. That's mm -hmm. going out. I uh, did a feature for them and that's been published in the middle of July. That's going out to 300,000 of their members. So wow. all this stuff, it just builds and snowballs. So. But if anybody's listening right now, where would you guide them to? Where would you suggest they look to contact you? Well, if you look at Google my website, uh, which is uh, nice and easy, it, it does what it says on the tin. It's coastalforaging.co.uk. That's all you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's... And they can find you and you, you can book online. You can book directly, can't you? Yeah, there are a few ways, because uh, how it works on uh, my booking system is I, I plan my foraging courses uh, throughout the year, mm -hmm. and all the courses are down then on a month-by-month -month basis. So you click on Book Now on Calendar, and that'll come up for that month with the availability. So it's a live system, so I normally have 12 people on a course. Mm -hmm. So say two people book, there'll be 10 left. So you can see how many courses, places are left on that particular course. And the other way is I then provide people with vouchers. So what people do, they uh, especially if it's for a birthday or, or Christmas gift or an anniversary or Father's Day, whatever, they uh, click on they buy a voucher. And with the voucher, I send it out in the form of a printed card, which they can write their salutation in, happy birthday, happy anniversary or whatever. And I send it along then with a complimentary uh, guidebook about the local wildlife and and the rock pool and shoreline and geology so it's a good little book that it's, uh... yeah no it's it's fabulous and, and i really would anybody that's listening anybody that's in the uk that wants to go and explore it and try it's just it really is such a fab day out and you just will enjoy it even if you oh well, i don't like it but you don't you know you don't just it just walking along the beach i mean we've we've spoken in the past and it is still something we we were sort of talking about sort of mixing sort of coaching and foraging and doing it's still in my mind it's still formulating the stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a way of doing something such a, yeah it's just such a brilliant way to spend the day just to be at, at one with nature doing something that you wouldn't have done before really just being actually that's it isn't it it's just about just being and you know you'd be entertained by craig and wow so yeah wow. and a few dad jokes as well oh yes oh yes craig is craig is the king of dad jokes <laughs> There's always a good few dad jokes in there. But, but, but quite seriously, one, one of the thing, kicks I get out of it, apart from teaching people how to identify, you know, wh wherever they are in the country, where to look and find these things, is that uh, uh, children come along for free. Anybody under 17 don't pay. And it, it, it gives me great pleasure then when they can forage things. Let's say they're about 10 years old, whereas they're very finicky. They, they don't eat chicken nuggets or whatever. Mm -hmm. They will eat the things from the sea that which they found themselves and they'll try and taste things so it, it's great what makes you happy well obviously doing what you do makes you happy but what top tips for happiness would you give the listeners well from a perspective of what i do 
I, I like to get out in the fresh air. I'm in control of what I do. It's up to me what I say and teach the people because I have to try and understand where they're coming from and what they're looking to get out of it. I, I, I can teach them into any depth of the marine biology or whatever, or the history or the geology that they want to go to. So you have to tailor make that to the group. But uh, at the end of the day, I always ask them, you know, is it anything we've not seen that you wanted to see? And that, that type of thing. And uh, well, I don't know about my customers, but I have a good time. Well, I think everybody that I've ever met that's been on one of your courses has always had a good time, Craig. So as I say, I, I highly recommend it. If you're, if you're listening to this from somewhere in the world, because I've got listeners, Craig, from over over 100 countries. So if anybody is planning yeah, a trip yeah. to the UK and wants to drop down to South Wales, it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. It really is. The beaches are out of this world, aren't they? It is they? the most beautiful place in the world. It is. Not yeah. one of, the, the, the most the, the, yeah, the, the. It is. And I don't <laughs> understand, you know, people head down to Cornwall and join all the, the throngs going down there, but going to South Wales is magical. There's a real magic energy about the place. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of my favourite places, as you can tell. <laughs> oh, anyway, thank you so much, Craig. Thank you so much for uh, being a guest and sharing more about obviously your coastal foraging and a bit of your background and you know what what you offer and what you do and I hope it's inspired people to sort of have a look a little bit closer at their own seashores or to get in touch with you or just to just to step out the the yeah, front door and, 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 see if, and if anybody's got any questions about anything you know foraging or coast related you know drop me an email I'm, I'm more than happy to answer that mm-hmm. what's your email address Craig uh, it's info at coastalforaging.co.uk Hey, hey, that's I, nice, nice and easy, and easy. too. <laughs> I, I, like, I like easy. <laughs> Yay, nice and easy does it. Nice and easy does it. Oh, that's brilliant. And uh, so again, thank you very much. And thank you all for taking the time to to listen. I hope you've been inspired, as I say, to go and look at your seashore and just look at what's on your doorstep. Go into the nature, go into the countryside and start questioning what these plants are and doing some investigation of your own because it's really is, it's very meditative as well. It's, you know, just being and just being curious and, and stepping into some woodland as well. That's, that's magical too. So thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review, subscribe, follow whatever you do from your platform. And uh, yeah, until next time, thank you for listening. Have a great rest of the day, week, month, year, whatever it is, wherever you're listening. But there's always plenty of more episodes to come. But as I hope you've enjoyed this one. And uh, thank you again. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com.